Welcome to the Are You Future Ready podcast. Are you curious about technology, innovation, and how you can stay ahead? Then you've come to the right place. In our series, we tap into the minds of people behind innovation. This podcast is brought to you by LR's Product Development and Innovation Center. Hi, I'm Linda Garrow, Director of Brand and Communications at Walters Kluwer, based in New York City, and your host of the RU Future Ready podcast. Today, we'll talk about innovation, trends, and tips on what you can do to become future ready. With our guests, Andrea McGarry, Head of Content Production in Walters Kluwer, Hungary, joining us from Budapest, Hungary, and Ronald Lentz, Director of Justice Accelerator, joining us from The Hague in the Netherlands. Welcome to the podcast, Andrea and Ronald. Hi, glad to be here. Same for me. Thanks for having me. Great. So uh, before we get started, uh, please share with us a bit about your background and what you do in your current role today. Over the past 15 years, I've worked mostly in innovation programs that uh, are at the intersection of technology and, and impact and sustainable development. Uh, working on many different things from water, urban mobility, clean energy, um, and now access to justice. Um, and in my current whole role at uh, at Hill, so that's that's short for the Hague Institute for Innovation of Law. Uh, I run our innovation department, which includes a, a justice accelerator program that um, that funds and trains startups with uh, promising justice innovations in Africa and in the MENA region, and even Ukraine. I uh, have a background in law, so I went to law school in Budapest, in Hungary, and got an M MA in, in law, and then uh, I continued with uh, legal studies. So I went on to study European law and then some uh, lawmaking. So I studied codification. First, I started working for the Ministry of Justice, and this was around Hungary's accession to the European Union. So both of, of these, uh, uh, you know, uh, postgraduate degrees that I had were really uh, handy for me at the time. And that is where I met, you know, work with legal texts. And I didn't know previously, but I found really my vocation. And I um, found out that I really loved working with texts and translations of legal uh, texts and terminology. So I was kind of a lawyer um, linguist uh, thing, which, uh, you know, um, as reading is my uh, major and biggest hobby, kind of combined my hobby with what I learned. And uh, from the Ministry of Justice, I went to work for the Hungarian official journal publisher. So it's the official publishing house in Hungary. And from there, 10 years ago, I joined Walter Schuver in Hungary. And here I am the head of content production, which means I oversee content acquisition, content management, all kinds of content enrichment and the productions. Thank you, Andrea. And uh, Ronald, last time we spoke, um, you talked about people-centered justice innovation. Um, what is that? Can you tell us a little bit more? Maybe it's good to um, to let me start with a little bit of background to set the stage for this and to have a look at the huge justice gap that's there, right? So we have in total uh, over, well, over 5 billion people, uh, 5.1 to be exact, um, that lack mean, meaningful access to justice. So if you 
divide that up, you see 250 million plus people in extreme conditions, right? Including uh, modern slavery and, and refugees. You have about a, a billion and a half of pre people that have justice problems that they cannot resolve. And four and a half people, billion people that um, basically are excluded from the opportunities uh, that law provides. So, for, for example, um, they lack identity or they don't know the law or they live too far away from justice providers. So, um, with this huge, huge justice gap, we see that the resolution rates are really low. So, on average, only about 24% reach a complete solution and another 9% a partial and and the others don't even try, right? They drop out uh, or are still trying. And this is not in the countries that we work in across Africa or the MENA region, but also in the Netherlands. And it's interesting to know that only 5% of people with problems actually use lawyers. So this is the context in which we work. We can safely say that the current justice systems, they cannot deliver enough for this demand, despite the hard work and the large sums of money. So that's why we need innovation, justice innovation. We look for innovations that address uh, justice problems directly for people um, that are affordable, accessible, easy to understand, which we call user-friendly justice. Really interesting. Uh, and uh, Andrea, what innovations are you excited about right now? And um can you share with us some insights about the Hungarian market? Well, the innovation that I'm most excited about this year or what I would like to really like to focus on is around um, alerting. So uh, as this last year was uh, so much about, you know, unsureness and, and even fear and, you know, changes all around, changes in the legislation, of course, so the, the regulator itself was affected and the people who are supposed to know about the law, access the law and um, apply the law were also challenged by G these changes. Um, what I would like to focus on is, is you know, to improve our um, alerting solutions. I would like to make these really customizable, you know, make them uh, be able to set what is relevant for them when they get the alert. Um, so that's one of my focus points this year. And the other thing that requires innovation is jurisprudence research, you know, um, and this has also a touch point with, with access to justice because, of course, you cannot access all the jurisprudence at the moment. And I just had a talk with, uh, you know, the head of the Office of the Courts, and he was saying that they are challenged by anonymization because first they have to anonymize, you know, the uh, case law and then they can publish it. And then with the published case law, we can do something. Of course, what we do is for, for profit. So we improve our legal uh, databases. And I would like to um, concentrate on this re jurisprudence uh, um, research development because uh, the so-called um, controlled precedent system is kind of uh, <laughs> coming to existence in Hungary. So we have to know um, how case law references each other. Uh, but, of course, there's a, a, a public-facing side to this to provide the information that the public is craving for. Thank you. And um, 
I guess, Ronald, are there any any examples of um, of how innovation has solved any particular problems um, that, that you can share? Absolutely. I mean, over the last 10 years, we've run our, um, our, our startup accelerator in Lagos, Nairobi, Kampala, Johannesburg, Tunis, Kiev, um, with a cohort each year. And what we see if it, we can, um, we have about seven categories, and I'll highlight, highlight a couple with examples. One-stop dispute resolution for, for employment and for family problems. For instance, a Dutch platform, Justice for Two, um, just an online platform that's really powerful and successful in arranging couples uh, or helping couples to arrange their divorce procedures themselves and come to a shared agreement. User-friendly and automated contracts, uh, for instance, um, between employer and employee. Um, and um, in South Africa, there's a company called Creative Contracts, and they make comic contracts. So contracts in pictures, basically, um, that make it a lot easier to, to understand for, for, uh, for employer and employee, and it reduces disputes tremendously. So I hope this paints a bit of a picture. Now, many more to share if you want to. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, yeah, it's really interesting to to see the the range uh, of countries and and problems that uh, Hill is is solving today. Uh, and uh, Andrea, why is innovation such hard work? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> well, <clears throat> or is it hard work? But 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 I think we usually think of it as as not easy. So you know, when we see that eleven of out of of 12 startups die or or like 19 out of 20 product innovations just uh, fail it, it seems like uh, hard work and uh, it's uh, worthwhile to think about what to do <clears throat> and I think it um, what makes innovation easier if you concentrate on the people doing it so I think that you know stress and time pressure doesn't help I think if you um, let the people uh, think and let them learn and capabilities that kind of uh, help them develop uh, an innovative uh, mindset or, or an openness, that is what will lead to, to innovation. I don't think actually that in our area, um, so huge, big, disruptive innovations are, are going to happen since we've been, you know, innovating and, and reading about other innovations in the legal uh, field for many, many years and nothing uh, so disruptive as like, you know, self-driving cars has um, emerged so far. So it's more like incremental uh, innovation, in my opinion. Uh, but I think we really have to nurture this uh, culture of innovation that, for example, at Walter Scoover, I think we have. Why is innovation so hard? It's because you, all, you, you also need some, somewhat of a perfect storm in an ecosystem to work, right? So all of these different resources need to be in place. So from uh, having the right data, so you understand what the actual justice problems are. Um, sounds basic, but um, uh, can be can be tough to gather. Uh, of course, you need you need bright talent, entrepreneurs, uh, training programs, all of that um, environment, but also. Uh, capital, access to capital, just growth um, capital at various stages, collaboration between young companies and, and corporates uh, to work together, 
And then in our situation, it's very important to also have a close relationship with the governments that we work with. So both of you have talked about uh, and it really made it clear that there's no shortage of legal issues to, to solve. Um, how do you know where you'll have the most impact through innovation? Um, you know, which problems do you prioritize and tackle first? Sure. So part of what we do is we, we, we perform justice needs and satisfaction surveys in countries that we work in. So massive surveys amongst thousands of people to understand what the most pressing justice problems are. Um, apart from the reports, we, we put that in our online dashboard. Um, so we actually know uh, per country what the problems are we want to tackle the most. Um, and uh, in addition, we have local hubs with local teams that understand the, the, the context a lot better than we can from The Hague. So the way we decide uh, which problems to prioritize um, and which ones to tackle first is, is we like to build our strategy on data. So we use data analytics to um, figure out what our users are, are looking for, what are their needs, which features are the most used, and so we make our improvements there. I also enjoy uh, customer discovery, customer interviews, so going in person to the customer and listening to what he has to say. Even better is contextual inquiry, where we where you just go and look at him. He lets you, you know, step back and just uh, observe him doing his research. From there, you can get really good insights and build on that. So we'll know what to improve from that from the customer. You know, I, I think uh, social justice and uh, access to justice has really taken, uh, you know, center stage this year. Um, what do you guys think, you know, is, is crucial this decade for justice innovation to help close the access to justice gap by 2030? Let me start. Um, of course, there's a lot of things that need to happen. So let me just highlight a couple that come to mind. Maybe the first one is focus on prevention. I mean, much of uh, the solutions out there are focused on resolution. And uh, let's say if you compare this to the health sector, we know that from the health sector, prevention strategies have added a lot more uh, health to people's lives than the actual cures, like clean water and healthier food have done more than hospitals. So maybe a next generation fintech company for the informal economy in, uh, in Nigeria could prevent crime and fraud and theft that people encounter that don't have a bank account, right? Much more in the prevention space. So prevention, maybe one. We need a functional marketplace that welcomes innovation, public-private partnerships a lot more um, um, because there, there are a lot of potential clients. If we have a market that works, you can come up with a great idea deliver a service that is badly needed, develop it, get funding, get innovation support, find partners, um, uh, set up collaborations with the government and other justice institutions. So I agree with Ronald when he said focusing on prevention is going to help um, close the justice gap, which is quite huge. Uh, 
what I would add to this is I think I, we should also focus on transparency and access to the, the effective access and the user friendliness of it. Because, you know, as I said, that I enjoy working with legal texts and, you know, the clarity and the understandability of law is, is not a given and uh, the masses don't understand it. That's why, of course, you say <laughs> you need lawyers. So, of course, this also has two faces. You can provide it to the public with what Ronald mentioned, the comic contracts, for example, or translating it for, for those target groups who have uh, some kind of disability that causes them you know, not to actually understand what the law is saying. But even lawyers don't understand it sometimes. So, you know, one thing you said is it's a lot of clients, right? And really, yeah. I think that's where the role of technology and, and innovation really come in to make sure that how do you scale a lot of the services? So, you know, Andrea, do you think law school prepares this new generation of uh, lawyers to be future ready and to help tackle some of these really big problems that we're hearing about today? No, frankly, I don't. <laughs> as far as I remember, it didn't prepare me. But, um, you know, because at law school, basically what they teach us is the text of law. So it can be measured in kilograms and kilometers. You know, if you put the textbooks beside each other, the, 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 the amount of <laughs> legal text we had to learn and then repeat back at the exams. But if you look at job postings, for example, today, what kind of, uh, uh, in the legal area, what kind of skills the employers are looking for? You see the soft skills. So where did we learn those at law school? I don't think still that they teach them, you know, creativity or, or design thinking or interpersonal skills or arguing, how to argue, how to make a point, how to present, how to manage your time, things like that. So these soft and social skills, I think the, the legal education is lacking there. And the other thing is the digital competencies. So, so I don't remember, um, you know, learning about uh, learning much about that at law school. Of course, I didn't even know that legal tech existed. And, you know, Professor Suskind was here in Budapest the end of 2019. And he talked about, you know, uh, legal positions that we don't know what they are, like legal data scientists or, or, I don't know, legal knowledge engineer or legal risk manager. And I'm sure that these positions are, are going to um, uh, become reality. And I think that the law school is not preparing the students, the law students, um, for these. So what are some of the emerging new roles in the legal profession that we can expect to see more of in the future? I would echo much of what Andrea said. I think it would, it would be a great thing where the next generation of lawyers would also be um, basically entrepreneurs and see how to develop new services for the, for the other uh, for the other market uh, for the masses and and be that that new generation that also transforms the the current uh, justice systems and uh, and the DNA even of of law firms You know, while we're on the topic of learning and, and things are just changing so quickly and in both of your roles, uh, you know, you're working across many markets. So, you know, what do you do to stay on top of innovation uh, in the market today and what is coming uh, in the future? How, how do you continue learning? Apart from uh, just just reading, reading up 
on, on uh, selected articles or listening to specific podcasts, um, I always like to look at other industries and how they do um, transitions and, and big transformations and, and draw the parallels, whether it be the health, health sector or energy sector or um, or any other. I think that's really interesting. Um, and I mean, personally also, um, I'm often most inspired from connecting with specific people uh, with different backgrounds and expertises, having conversations, learning from their perspectives. Great. Before moving to Andrea, are there any specific uh, publications or blogs or websites that, that you'd like to, to mention? Um, it's always helpful for our listeners. A book that's uh, a bit of a Bible in, in our organization is Rules for a Flat World by Gillian Hatfield, um, also part of our programming uh, committee, um, which I can highly recommend. Great. How about you, Andrea? I would like to just agree with Ronald um, when he said, you know, connecting with other other people, that's the best way to to learn and uh, and and being able to meet with multidisciplinary teams. So where you can meet with uh, like not only lawyers that can get a bit boring, you know, <laughs> you know, seeing the way engineers think or mathematicians, doctors think about issues. It, it can be an eye opener, I think. So that's the best way. And but it's really hard or more difficult, let's say, to keep up in this remote remote world. What I do is, is yeah, the same as you, Ronald. I, I read up on blogs. These are usually US feeds. So, you know, legal tech news and law.com and things like that. And what advice would you give to listeners about becoming future ready? First and foremost, find what makes your heart go faster. Um, and, and be curious if somebody says something, if everybody says something to be true, just be very suspicious um, and go outside of your comfort zone. Make mistakes, learn, try again. Uh, because I think nobody can ever be like future ready, but we can have sort of a smart way to navigate the future because things tend to turn out differently most of the time anyway. Being curious about the future, I think that that helps. If you can keep that curiosity that children have, which is pretty hard to keep as you um, grow up, you have to, I think, be a bit brave. So... Courage is also something that that needs to be there to, yeah, to not to be afraid of change, to kind of embrace the change, or at least just not fear it all the time. And you have to keep your focus. I think that helps with being innovative or being future ready to to not let your thoughts scatter all around or or you let all this information because you want to never miss out on something and you want to read everything and that will help you be informed but uh, still i think you have to to keep the focus and and your balance the balance of your mindset so if someone is interested in getting in touch and learning more about what you guys do uh, what's the best way for them to do that so surely check out our website at uh, hill.org, so hills, uh, H-I-I-L.org, um, where you can find uh, a lot more on Justice Innovations and our trend reports, our Justice Dashboard. Look for the Pathfinders uh, Initiative and all its partners, uh, World Justice Project, Namati, Open Society Justice Initiative, and um, uh, 
just reach out to me personally. Uh, find me on LinkedIn um, and uh, be happy to connect. Yeah, same here. Just find me on LinkedIn. I would be very, very happy to, to chat and to connect. Great. Andrea and Ronald, thank you so much for joining us today. And we look forward to having you back again soon. Thank you for listening to the Are You Future Ready podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode and make sure to subscribe to our Walters Kluwer channel on SoundCloud.